us with your truth, with your word. You join us together in the unity of the spirit. And I thank you for the life that you've given us. And I thank you for the friendship that we have in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys want to give the worship team a hand and then greet somebody as you sit down? <clears throat> you want to greet somebody as you sit down, too? Um, welcome. We have a couple of announcements. Welcome. Thank you. We have a couple of announcements. We... Uh, <clears throat> So next week we're going to do our, our Christmas gathering. One of the things we want to do next week, um, just to let everybody know kind of what our plan is, is we're going to receive an offering for um, families that have any need for, for Christmas. So um, if there's anybody that struggling to buy Christmas presents, things like that for their kids, we want to be a blessing to them. So we're going to have an opportunity. Yeah. Online? Cash only? I don't think it's cash only. We just put a note on the, like there's a there's a spot for a note on online. Um, yeah, just like in the in the memo line or whatever on the online giving, you can do that. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it'll just be a, a whatever you want to call it, goodwill towards men offering. Um, but yeah, so we want to be a blessing to people that maybe have been struggling whatever this year. And then also, if you know of anybody or if you yourself have a hard time. Um, like you're not going to be able to buy Christmas presents for your kids, for yourself, whatever. We want you to come to us, and we want to be able to, to help you out. So uh, get with me or Jared or Tyler, and they can. we'll get you plugged in somewhere, and we'll, we'll work it out. Michelle also. Yeah, I forgot she's not in here. But um, Any questions on that? Does that make sense? Next Sunday, if you want to give to the family, yep. If you want to be, a, if you want to give towards that, that we'll just we'll gather it all next Sunday and then we'll disperse disperse it. So, if you have a need, please come to us this week so that we can kind of get you um, squared away. Uh, last week we talked about how our heart is to start a coffee shop, things like that. You guys remember that? Was that good? So, the, I wanted to be clear. Um, if you want to be, if you want to be a part of it, on the on, like on our website, there's like the give now button or whatever. Um, there's like different funds when you go on there. There's like Harvest uh, General Fund, and then there's a Dwelling Coffee Fund. So if you want to give towards that, that's the way to do it. Or you can put it in like a memo and a check or whatever, or write it on an envelope. But just somehow allocate it that way. Um, and there's one other thing. Oh, women's dinner. <laughs> Robin like whips her head right around. Women's dinner is is Friday at 6:30 at Robin's house. What's your where's your house at? on DeWitt Road, so maybe just, if you if you don't know where that's at, just get with her, um, she'll uh, she'll give you the address, but for all the women of Jesus Church, there's going to be a Christmas theme, right, ugly sweater and ornament ex exchange, that's going to be fun, so ugly sweater and ornament exchange, um, I remember I was preaching, at, or I was, I was in this church, and uh, the pastor got up, and he got in kind of late, and was like rushing to get his microphone on, and he put his microphone like this way, so like the whole service, and he was just like rushing to just do it. So the whole service, the mic was like right here in his eye. And I'm like, dude, that's the most distracting thing ever. Just like be like, hold on, guys, let me just fix this. But like he just didn't want to, but he just wanted to play it off like it wasn't a big deal. Literally has it like just like this, right, right in his vision. Like I can see this right here, and it's bothering me. It's crazy. Um, any other questions on any of those announcements? It's going to be good. So, yeah, next week we're going to. We'll do the old Christmas Christmas party. We'll have a candlelight service, too, that Sunday with, with the kids and everything in, in, in the service. So it's going to be good. Um, look at Luke chapter 1. I won't be here next week. So I'm going to Norway. So it's going to be good. We'll get to see Taya's mom and dad get to see Stella for the first time. So that's going to be fun. Um, so, yeah, we, I've never spent no Christmas in Norway. So it's going to be super cool. I'm excited. So I'm going to share a little bit on Christmas this week. Is that cool? All right. So Luke chapter 1. This is Zacharias. Zacharias, however you would say it. Zacharias, um, the father of John the Baptist. And I think it's super important for us to see this. Um, it's something that doesn't really get shared a lot. And uh, it's going to be, I think it's good for us to understand this. Is when Obviously, we all know the story of, of well, maybe you don't, but Zacharias was in the temple praying, and his wife was barren, 
and she was the cousin of Mary, the mother of, Joseph, mother of Jesus. And he, an angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, hey, you're going you're gonna to give birth to a son. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord, all this stuff. You're going to call his name John. And uh, he didn't believe it, so he couldn't talk for a while. And uh, when the baby's born and he names the baby John, his mouth is opened up, and this is what he says right here. It says in verse 67, One sixty-seven. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, man, anyone that's filled with the Holy Spirit can prophesy. So let's just, something that we, like, the reason why I try to open it up for people to share and the reason why I try to make sure that, like, other people can have a microphone and things like that is because we're all gifted in the body. And it's like, if, if, we all believe that we're the body of Christ, right? Like everybody, we would all agree that we're, hey, when we come together, we're the body of Christ. Paul talks about it. He goes, can the arm say that you don't need the leg or whatever? Like, can you say to this finger, well, I, don't, I have no need of you. And that's what we say when we say that other people can't, can't share something, right? Or only a certain amount of people can prophesy. Or only the people that are gifted can stand up and preach. Or only, you understand, that's what we're saying when we say that is like, yeah, I'll receive from Dylan and I'll receive from Tyler because they can preach, but I'm not going to receive from Rebecca because she's not really a preacher or whatever we say. Does that make sense? When we have to like, like Jesus is the head and the rest of the body just follows the head. Does that make sense? Like we're, we're, we're no better than anybody else. And we have to realize that there might be something that's more visible and there might be something that's more in the background, but we have to understand that as the body of Christ and the church of Christ, that like regardless, you, there's nothing, when people come together, there is no difference between, like, me preaching and, like, Robin working in the cafe. Like, it's the same value in, in, in Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, now it's different in function, but it's the same value to the body. Does that make sense? Like, some of us have, and I, this is what I want us to see, is there's giftings in each and every one of us in different areas, and those giftings are not higher than the other, they're just giftings. So I'm gifted to pastor, and the Lord's placed me in a place of authority and position. But in the same way that I'm gifted to bless the body is the same way that when Rebecca sings, she blesses the body. Does that make sense? And if we don't understand that, then we'll have a bunch of church, churches and churches of spectators. Right? And that's destroying the world. Because what it, what it does is it elevates somebody that can preach or elevates one gift above another. And the other ones are saying, well, we don't really have need of this. We don't really have need of this gift. What it does is it, it gets people that are not called to pastor to realize and believe that they're not called into ministry. And that's why the world's going to hell. Does that make sense? And it starts with the church. Because the church is teaching that, that we elevate one man and, like, we're all going to come and listen to Dylan preach. Instead of believing that we all come to bring something to the table. And when we all bring something to the table, we all see that we have something to give. So when we're out and about, you don't have me with you, but you have you with you, and you have him with you. And when you t sit down for coffee with your friend that's struggling, you have something to give that person. Does that make sense? When we believe that we can all prophesy, when we believe that we can all, we can all share a word of knowledge, when we believe that we can all heal the sick, when we believe that we can all preach the gospel. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to get, and that's why I. That's why we do what we do in Jesus Church. That's why it's not. I, I share a lot because I obviously I am I am the pastor, and I, but like we try to open it up so that everybody can be involved, and we're do we're thinking more about how we can do that all the time, because I want I don't want to I don't want to neglect the gift that's in Jessica, right? Like I don't want to neglect that gift, because what I'm doing by neglecting it and not valuing it is saying, well, I don't have need of that part of the body. I need the other parts of the body, right? But I don't need that part. And we just should not do that. Does that make sense? It's very it's a very good view of church if you think like that. You have to think like that. If you think like cuz it puts you in the game and it puts everybody else in the game. And it puts it here's what it does is it gives you an opportunity that when you come you have something to give. And it, it gives you an opportunity to receive from other people that you necessarily probably wouldn't have received from otherwise. 
So when you're talking to somebody in the cafe or when you're sitting out here after service, you might receive a word. Nathaniel might just say one thing in passing to you. That absolutely changes your life more than what I preach. And that's perfectly fine, right? Like, right, that's what Nathaniel does whenever you talk to him. But does that make sense? We have to change our view of church. And I remember the Lord, I say it all the time, is like the Lord, he didn't say, Dylan, you're not trying to figure out how to do church. Like when we started Jesus Church, I'm like, our Lord, what is it supposed to look like? And he's like, you're not trying to figure out how to do church well. You're just trying to learn what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Because we grew up outside of the kingdom, and then we were saved, and now we live in a kingdom with a different king. So we're going to have to understand what he wants as the king. We're learning what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Right? That's what, we're, that's, that's what we do. And that's what Jesus' church's pursuit is, and that's what our own personal pursuit is. We talked about it last week. The kingdom of God wants to come, and it wants to come through you. So you have, to, you have to align yourself with the, okay, the mentality of the kingdom. So when, you come, so when you come to gather with everybody, you have to subject your mind and your will. You have to make the decision to believe that when I come together, everybody is valuable in, in Jesus. That everybody has something to give. Like I have to submit to that authority of Jesus saying that this is what I've called you to. Right? Or I'm going to live outside of the kingdom, the king's reign. It's funny because, like, the Lord sometimes will, he'll hide, I don't know how to say this without saying, I'm just going to say it. He'll hide something from you and give it to somebody else to see if you're humble to receive it from them. Does that make sense? Like, there's been things that I'll pursue in Jesus, and it's like I'll hear somebody that I don't think is as mature as me or doesn't understand things as well as I do say something that I've been pursuing, and I'm like, I've literally been asking you about that, and it's like, truth has come, but it's teaching me to stay humble that I'm not a one-man show, and I need, I need the body. As a believer, I need the body. I need community. That's why it's important for us to gather. I need it. I'm not like, it's not something, it's not a good idea. It's not just because we live in America. It's something that you desperately need, or you'll die, right? If I cut a finger off of the body, that, that finger will not survive. The body might survive. It's going to be hurting, both ways. The finger is going to die because it's not connected, and the body's going to suffer because it needs that finger. That's what we are called to be as Christians. We are a part of a body, and the, and the church is, a bo- is the body of Christ, right? Jesus' church is the body of Christ in DeWitt. Now, there's a body of Christ in Iran, in, in Afghanistan, everywhere, and we're all corporately the, the big body. That's why whenever you go, if you ever travel and go anywhere, you can meet people that are believers in Jesus, and you're like, man, I feel like I've known you my whole life. Because they're, they're of the same body and the same spirit. And it's like, I don't know anything about you, but we can still get on our knees and worship Jesus together. And it's just like, it, it's like wow, this is, this is family. Because we're all the corporate body of Christ, but we're called to be the body of Christ where we're at. That's why when people are separated from the body or separate themselves from the body, you know that something's not going well. And it's not that you're trying to say like, oh, hey, how come you weren't at church on Sunday? That's not, our, that's not the problem. But when you're separated from the body, something's lacking. You're lacking nutrients, right? You're lacking the covering of the head. You're lacking the, the, the joints and marrow of everything supplying that, that your, your life and your gifting in your life. Your life, 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 right? Said it three times. But no, you're, you're, you're lacking life because you're not connected. That's why church is important. Does that make sense? The Sunday service is not the church. The church is the body. The church is the body with a, with a pastor and elders and Jesus as the head. That's what the church is. It's a local body. A governing, it's the governing, man, I don't keep getting wrapped up in this. I read one scripture. The church is the governing, the governing authority in the region, in the spirit. Right, the word ecclesia is what the word church is. It's the governing authority. Jesus set up his ecclesia, and he's saying the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it, implying that the ecclesia is the governing authority, and it has to take ground from the, from the gates of hell, right? Gates don't attack people. You don't walk by the sidewalk, right? You've got to go in them, right? Gates don't just swing open when you're walking down the road and hit you, right? Implying that we are called to take ground and, and advance the kingdom of God. Now, it might get darker, but we shine brighter. Right, things might get worse, but we have to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. That's our that's our job, and the gates that are trying to keep you out won't prevail against you. 
That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm, that's what I tried to get through like last week when we were talking about it, is trying to get people to see that when we step into a place, we bring the kingdom of God, and when the king's domain, the kingdom of God is the king's domain. When the kingdom of God steps into a room, steps into a place, steps into a business, steps into a city, steps into a neighborhood, into a house, the kingdom with the king reigning comes upon that town, comes upon that area, comes upon that house, comes upon that family, comes upon that sickness, comes upon that demonized person. The kingdom comes upon it. And when the kingdom comes upon it, things start to change because the king is now taking reign over the problem. Right? That's why Jesus is king. And when he's king, everything else changes. But you better be king of your life if you want him to be king in other places. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? That's free. It's not what I wanted to share. Okay. He prophesies this, and he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, for, or who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Pause. Who's he prophesying of? Who's he talking about? Who's Zacharias prophesying of right here? No, in this whole prophecy, who's he prophesying of? Jesus, right? He's prophesying, he's saying, the Lord has visited us. Why did they call his name Emmanuel? Because he's God with us. Mm. Right? He's saying the Lord has visited us and raised up a horn of salvation. Raised up salvation in the house of David. That's why Jesus is called the son of David. That's why Jesus, all the way through the Old Testament, prophesies to David and says, you'll never lack somebody to sit on the throne because he's saying, I'm going to raise up from the house of David. And if you look at the lineage of Jesus, is the lineage of David. He comes from the lineage of David. And he says, I'm going to raise up from your seed. I'm going to raise up from your seed the house of David. I'm going to raise up a salvation that's going to sit on the throne forever because Jesus' throne will never end. Right? So think, think about this, though. He's prophesying that Jesus is going to, or Jesus is coming or has come. I don't know at what point. Yeah, he's probably already come because he's in the womb of Mary. Right? Yeah, because they were both pregnant at the same time. Him and, all right, so he's already come. He's saying, you visited us. You've already come. He's like, you're raising up a horn of salvation. But look at what he's saying. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Who's that? Right, Satan, demons, deception, sin. You understand, he's prophesying something that the majority of people that heard him are probably saying, oh, Rome. Oh, this, oh, physical, that, this and that, right? They're saying that there's all these enemies that hate Israel. There are all these people that hate us. And it's so funny because God shows, Jesus shows up on the scene and they're thinking that he's going to deliver them from, from, from the Roman Empire. They're going to deliver them from being in bondage to the Roman Empire. And Jesus is saying, you got a lot bigger problems than Rome because you're a slave to sin and you're captive to the enemy called sin and fear, fear of death. You live your whole life in bondage to fear and sin. And Jesus shows up and sets up a kingdom that's not of this world. Right? So look. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Who's the hand of our enemies? Deception, sin. One of the reasons why I ask questions like that is I'm not trying to get everybody to answer them. I'm just trying to get you to think. When you read the word, this is how you're supposed to read it. Because a lot of times we just read our Bibles in the morning when we're, when we're drinking coffee. And we just read it like, oh, no problem. Like, I read my Bible. And I, I'm not against reading your Bible. But if we're, not, if we're not looking at the Bible and actually answering the questions and looking for what Jesus is talking about, you're searching it out with the person of the Holy Spirit. So there's so many times that I'm like, man, Holy Spirit, I don't understand this. Man, Holy Spirit, I don't really get what you're saying right here. Has anyone ever read the Bible and not got what it was saying? You understand, you understand what, why the Lord does that? 
understand why he spoke in parables? You understand why he's, you understand why there's hidden wisdom in the scriptures? What? Right? It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. It's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. But think about this. If there wasn't, if it wasn't like that, you wouldn't need him. You wouldn't need relationship with him. You wouldn't need to walk with him. You understand, the Lord hides wisdom in relationship. He hides the understanding of truth and freedom. He hides it in relationship with him. Because if it was just understanding, first off, the enemy could read it and understand it, which he can't. Second off, a, a, a natural man would read it and receive wisdom and can't. You have to be filled with the spirit of God and know the spirit of God to walk with him. There's, that's why the Lord spoke in parables so much because he wanted to speak in parables to everybody in the whole crowd and he wanted the people that would come to him and say, hey, what does that mean so that he could walk with them? You understand? He's preaching complete perfect truth and he's like, I'm hiding it in parables so that, I, so that you seek me out and you spend time with me. Because he's like, the scriptures and everything I'm saying testify of me and you need to come to me so that you may live. You understand? And that's why, like, when you read the scriptures, when you're spending time in the word, you're called to sit with the Lord and do not just read through it like it's a book that doesn't, isn't alive, right? Don't just read through it like it's a book that you don't have a, a comforter or a teacher, right? How many times have we read the scriptures or read or spent time with the Lord and we never actually even talked to the Lord? Seriously. I do it all the time. How many times do we listen to teaching or we listen to worship music or we t whatever we do and the whole time we're like, man, I never really connected with the person of the Holy Spirit or connected with the person of Jesus. Think about it. I've done it a ton in my life. I'm like, man, I, I was all day long at a conference talking about you all day long and never actually talked to you, the person that's supposed, that supposedly lives with me at all times. It should be convicting to us because what we do is we're, we do like, we don't want knowledge and not have him. We don't want to know things and not know him, right? We don't want to encounter the scriptures and not encounter him. He's a person. So right now you're reading and you're just like delivered from the hands of our enemies. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I, you, you draw conclusions really quickly. And you're like, hey, Lord, what do you mean by that, the hand of our enemies? Who is our enemies? Because it doesn't feel like I have any enemies right now. And this book is supposedly for me, and I don't feel like I have enemies 2022 in, in, in America right now. Right? That's what you would say. But if, the, if you step into a place of like, okay, Holy Spirit, what does it mean? What are you trying to accomplish in me right now in this scripture? I was reading the other day and it was crazy. I was thinking about it. It's like, if you look at what Jesus and Paul and all these guys in scripture, the way that they quoted the Old Testament, they were quote things completely like, for lack of a better word, just like, off the wall things. Like they would just, like Paul would just say, today's the acceptable year of the Lord. And quotations today. It's, it's written today. Somewhere in the Old Testament today. That's what he says. Because he realizes that every word that comes from the mouth of God is actually designed to set people free. That's, an, that's incredible to me. Paul, literally in, Ro in Romans, he quotes today from the Old Testament. He says, oh, in another place, he says today. Like whatever he says, he's like, one word quotations today from the Old Testament. And it's like, there's a whole passage in the Old Testament that he's talking about. And he just took that one verse and said, it's applicable. You need to get born again today. That's incredible to me. Right? He says, he, Paul's reading the Old Testament today. Today is the day of salvation. He's just like, we must be born again today. Don't wait another day today. And I'm just like, that's crazy because they've, they understood that every word that comes out of the mouth of God is bringing us to an encounter with the person of Jesus. Every, every word that came from God that he wrote down was called to bring us to an encounter with the nature, the person, the face of Jesus. Because he is the image of God. That's why John wrote it. He says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father. He's like, we, we actually looked upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's incredible. Because what Jesus did when he came and what we celebrate every Christmas is, is like, we just need to realize he came as the word of God manifests to live the way that we were called to live. He says, okay, this is what you think about God. This is all the words that we talk about God. Here's the whole Old Testament. Put it in a body. I'm going to live it out in front of you so that you see exactly what he looks like. 
Jesus lived the perfect picture of what the Father looks like. That's why I say Jesus is perfect theology. So if we have a picture of God that does not line up with the person of Jesus, then we need to question if that's actually true about the heart of God. Right? Jesus saying, I only do what I see my father do, and I, on, I, only, I only say what I hear my father say. Man, that's crazy. So when somebody comes to him and they're struggling and they're saying, hey, my son's sick, forgive my unbelief, I'm trying to believe, Jesus is going to say, hey, you need to have more faith. What does Jesus do? He sets the boy free. Right? And encourages him and says, Hey, anyone who has, he's like, believe, only believe. He who has faith as a mustard seed can say this mountain. All these things that Jesus says. So when somebody comes to him that's caught in the act of adultery, Jesus did, would we agree that he did what the father would have done if he was in that situation? Think about that. How many times do people all across this land, all across the world, believe that when they fail, if they came to God, that he would judge them and, and condemn them. That's crazy. Because Jesus is saying, my blood, which is not yet shed, will speak better things on your behalf. Because I'm here. The, plan's, the plan is now. Right? He's saying, You're, you raised up, he's like, you visited us. It's showtime. Right? What, what the angels are celebrating in Luke chapter 2 when they show up in a to just a couple shepherds, which blows my mind also, that God just dumps angels out of heaven for a bunch of crazy shepherds dudes just in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows, just these shepherds. Doesn't make any sense to me. Why doesn't he do it in Jerusalem? There'd be no faith, right? Think about that. The son of God is, is born that day, and God shows up with a, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising the name of the Lord, and angels only say what they hear God say. Angels don't say anything on their own behalf. You ever notice that? They're messengers of God, right? So when an angel says something, he's saying, go, tell Mary, this is what I want you to tell her, right? Gabriel didn't kind of say, God kind of said something like this, but this is kind of what he meant. That's not, what, that's not what Gabriel, Gabriel said word for word what God told him to say, right? So when an angel shows up and says, glory to God, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, He's saying what God has spoken from the throne of God to bring it into the earth. Incredible. Because he's saying peace. Hopefully you don't have to preach any of these because I just stole all your scriptures from, from Christmas. He's saying peace on earth. Has there been peace on earth since that day? Does God lie? So what's he talking about? Jesus himself, the spirit of God. He's talking about this, what God accomplished through Jesus created peace between you and him forevermore. What he, what he accomplished in the person of Jesus created peace between the Father God and sinful humanity once and for all because of the blood of Jesus. That's incredible. That's why he's saying goodwill towards men. He's saying it's good news. This is good news. That's why the gospel is good news. Because he's saying from now on, your sin is not separating you from me, which it has been for, for decades and generations. He's saying your sin is not keeping you from me because there's an answer in Jesus. That's why he says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That God was actually in Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That as any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Incredible. Right? I'm just like, I need more, Jesus. Do more gospel in me. Right? Jones in for it. I heard a guy say it, like, this pastor, he's like, I'm a gospel addict because I need it. And I'm like, that's exactly how I am. Like, I have a hard time not going to anywhere else. I'm like, I don't have time for that because I'm like, I need it. I'm like, and he says, he's like, I'm the first to, like, fall back into this mentality of, of not believing something. I'm the first to fall back into judging myself, first to fall back in and condemning myself. He goes, so I have to live in the gospel, right? That's why Paul talks about it. He goes, it's the fight of faith, and everything is coming against that truth to try to crush it in your life, everything. 
I always think about it like when I go to Norway, like what if I just never saw, like we didn't have FaceTime, like Paul, we didn't have FaceTime, we didn't have, all I had is letters, and I couldn't really get to you guys because you're across the world. I would be like, it would drive me nuts. I'm like, it took, like Paul's right, he's writing in, in I, I don't remember what, what epistle, but he's just like, I could wait no longer, so I had to send Timothy to you to see how you're doing. Because he's like, I want to make sure that you're continuing in the faith. Because he knows that everything in the world is set up against your faith. I wanted, like, I, I thought about this this morning. These are, I'm kind of a little bit all over the place. We're going to get somewhere, I think. But I thought about this this morning. It's like, you understand it's not God against the devil in the world. Like, God is not fighting the devil. A lot of people think that, that it's like, like, you ever seen that little picture of, like, Jesus, like, flexing and, like, the devil's flexing? You ever seen that picture on, like, Facebook or whatever? I'm like, this is a goofball picture. Like, there's no flexing of Jesus on anything. <laughs> like, Jesus meets 6,000 demons and just stands there and goes, yeah, you need to go. Just like that. No flexing. Didn't even break a sweat. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, but God is not in this cosmic battle against the devil. The devil's in a cosmic battle against you to believe. Right? He, he, he's your enemy. He's the enemy. And he's really what he's coming to do is the same thing he came to do in, in Adam and Eve's life. And that is just the question what God says. The word of God is what's going to stand for all eternity. And the enemy's job in his entire life is to come against what you believe about God. What you believe that he says. Yeah. You want to you want the microphone? Mm-hmm. At one time So here's the thing, is God I don't believe Let me think about this, how to say this. The only thing that was separating mankind from God was sin, not the devil. Does that make sense? So the devil had no, the devil had authority because man gave it to the devil. So I don't believe that there was the battle was ever with the devil. The devil was the author and the and the finisher of sin, I guess, however you want to say it. But he was the author of sin, bringing it into the world. But like. Jesus, what Jesus did in crushing Satan was he did it as a man, which is he, he came as the authority of man again and crushed Satan, which was what Adam should have done in the garden. That's what, so that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, man, this is going to be so good in the long run. So listen, so what God did in Adam, he created man to, f- you're going to get me off. No, it's okay. No, it's super, I know, it's, I know you get what I'm, but I think we really need to understand this. So look, Adam in the garden was put in the garden, and what did God say to him? Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Fill the earth, subdue it. Take dominion. So God, through man, this is God's decision, is he chose through man to subdue and take dominion over the earth. Adam had every right and every authority to look at, and Eve, because she's made, she's made in the likeness of God also, had every right to look at Satan and said, yeah, that's actually exactly what God did, so why don't you get lost? That's what she should have done. And that's what Christians should do now. So Adam forfeits his authority to, to, to the devil, and that's why the devil wreaks havoc in the world, because man gave it to him. Jesus had to come as a man. That's why, that's why as a doctrine of belief in the body of Christ, it has to be the virgin birth. If we, if, that's why it's, there's subtlety in saying that, well, Jesus, it was actually Joseph and Mary, and God was like in it and putting up like all the. If you take away the virgin birth, then you take away Jesus with, as a pure spotless lamb. That's why it's a being attacked. It's very, very important, right? We don't elevate Mary to a, a, whatever the Catholics do. We don't do that. And I'm not trying to bash the coxes, but that, that's just not right. But it's like what we do is we value, we value Mary's yes. We just don't value her as a, well, I don't pray to her. Jesus never commanded us to do that. Right? She had to agree. We value her yes for Jesus. Right? She's, she's blessed among women because she said yes. She's like, yes, I will, I will be the, the vessel to bring the king into the earth. 
But if we if we take away the if we take away the God, there's so many scriptures I could go to, but if we take away the virgin birth, what we do by doing that is we take away the perfectness of Jesus. Because listen, the seed, the seed that came into Mary was perfect because it was God that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and put him into the womb of a woman. Because if it came through a man, then it would came with the nature of, of Adam and Jesus would have had a sin nature if he would have came by man. Does that make sense? That's why he has to come as a virgin. That's why the, that's why the prophets prophesied it's the virgin birth because the virgin birth is very important because it brings a perfect, a perfect man into the world without sin. Does that make sense? So what Jesus did is he came as a man and did what Adam couldn't do. And he defeated sin and the devil and the hell and grave and then was raised from the dead on our behalf. And then that's why Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why has it been given to him? Because he took it back. Because he lived what, what Adam failed. And he crushed everything that was, all the enemies that were stopping us, hell, death, grave, the devil, the sin, all of it, Jesus accomplished it. And then he says, all authority has been given to me. Now you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what's he saying? Is he saying, hey, all authority has been given to me. Now be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion over the things of the enemy. You understand? Jesus, that's why I say Jesus brought us all back to the garden. And what, 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 he, what Adam lost in the garden, Jesus accomplished at Calvary. What Adam lost in the garden, Jesus accomplished when he raised from the dead and gave us the Holy Spirit. Because now he's saying, here you go. Here's the power. Here's the authority. And here's, because you have no authority on your own behalf. Authority is given. And it's crazy because what the authority that's given to you is his authority that he placed in you. I was listening to a guy talk about it. He's just like, when you cast the demon out of somebody, he goes, most of the time when people pray and the demon just goes, I'm not going anywhere. Christians go, oh, shoot, he's not going anywhere. He goes, what you, need, what you need to do in that moment is just be like, I don't think that you heard me right. Because what heaven is doing is going, stopping everything they're doing, and all the knives are hitting the floor. And they're like, what did that dude just say? <laughs> they're like, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if he understands who has the authority. Because the authority that you've been given is his authority that he's given to you, right? What we do is we back off. Right? We pray. We're like, oh, what the heck? I don't know what happened. It's like we don't back off. Right? But that's why it's, so it's very important for us to understand that God is not fighting the devil. What he's doing is he's given us the authority for us to take dominion. So it comes back to the same thing. That's why I'm saying it's not a cosmic battle against God and the devil. It's the devil against you and will you believe. It's the, it's the devil because all of it really comes down to the devil questioning God. And God is saying, I'm not going to say anything different. I've already said it. And he's now he's saying, here's the one that has the authority. Are you going to believe it? Right? He's saying, is man, because like I said, if, if, the, if the kingdom of God shows up in, in DeWitt, Michigan, it's not because we're going to sit here and pray all day long and God's just going to pour it out. He's placed it in Jared. And if Jared lives in DeWitt, how's the kingdom going to get there? Here, here's another question. If God gave Jared the authority to do something and it doesn't get done, whose fault is it? Jared's. And I'm not trying to be rude. But so many times we, and our mindset and our theology is wrong because we're praying for God to do something when God's asking you to go do something. In his authority and he's saying, I'll back you, right? It's like, I want Tyler to encounter Jesus. He lives in me. So I need to pray, I need to believe, I need to go after, I need to encounter, I need to talk to Tyler. I need to say, how, how can I bring Jesus into this situation? How can, I, how can I take dominion? Man, if Adam was in the garden and saying, hey Jesus, we're just kind of kicking it, or Father, however you want, I don't know who, how he addressed them. He probably spoke in tongues, I think that was their language. But, no, I don't know. <laughs> that was just a random thought of mine. I don't know what language he spoke. I think about I'm not going to get into these crazy things, but I think about these kind of things sometimes. Tyler gets all mad at me for asking him crazy questions about dinosaurs and stuff. Um, stuff that doesn't matter about anything in the long run. But, so Adam is in the garden talking. To, you're shaking your head at me like big time. Adam is in the garden, and God gives Adam the authority to take dominion, to fill the earth and subdue it. 
if, the, if what Adam was doing, if he didn't take dominion and he didn't subdue it, it wouldn't be God's fault that, it wasn't, that the garden wasn't multiplying. It wouldn't be God's fault that Adam and Eve weren't multiplying. It would be Adam's fault because he gave him the authority. Right? Now, God's not, that's what I'm saying. God's not judging, God's not judging people and saying, like, he doesn't just say, well, Adam, you didn't do it, so I'm going to take you. That, this is what's amazing to me is he didn't just say, I'm going to kill Adam, kill Eve. I'm going to wipe the devil out. I'm going to start all over. That's not his plan. That's not his plan. That's amazing to me, right? He's a good father. So what he does, he prophesies to Eve way back then. And he says, in her seed, well, he prophesied to the devil. But he says, in her seed, her seed will actually crush your head. And that's why he said her seed and not his seed. Because he's saying that it's going to come through the womb of a woman and not the, womb of, not the seed of man. Right? He says her seed is actually going to crush your head. So, so the devil's living his entire life all the way through the Old Testament going, when is this coming? When is this coming? All I have to do is kill, 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 kill. You know what I mean? Samson comes up, how do I kill him? Because he looks like he could be the dude. David comes up, how do I kill him? Everything he's saying, there's coming a day. And then the man comes and Jesus, and he's like, Herod, how do I kill him? How do, that's why Jesus' whole life is all, they flees to Egypt. All this stuff is trying to come against Jesus because the devil sees the seed somewhere. He's trying to find it. He doesn't understand. But Mary is this secret girl that nobody knows that gave her life to Jesus to say, hey, or gave her life to the Father and say, here's, here's the seed that comes into me and let it become to the end of the earth. It's incredible. Right? And everybody thinks that she did it Ill illegitimate. Right? God's, his wisdom is amazing. So he's saying all the way back here, he doesn't just kill Adam and Eve. He says, no, there's a plan, and here's my plan. It's going to be the same way that it's always been. Is I'm going, to, I'm going to make man in my image again, in the same way that I did in the garden. And this is how I'm going to do it. And then once they're made in my image, I'm going to give them the same authority, the same power, the same spirit, and I'm going to give them the same command to go fill the earth and subdue it. And the kingdom of God is now still coming in the earth through man. And if it's not coming in the earth, then it needs, it's somewhere man's missing it. It's Christianity 101, and it's super good. Is there any questions on that? Does that answer your question? Super good. Because really, what we, that's why we, without, without trying, we value the enemy and what he's doing. And we're like, we think that he's like, we think that the enemy is looking at God and trying to fight God all the time, and God's looking at the devil and what he's doing, and he's like, oh, you did this? Oh, I did this. Like, that's, it's not like that. Like, God's looking at it all and saying, like, this is going to work out really well. That's why the Lord, I told you the one time I was sitting there worrying about how things are going in, in the world and looking at all the problems in, in the news and all this stuff, and the Lord just interrupted me. He goes, hey, I'm not impressed by the devil. I'm not impressed by what he's doing. And I'm like, that's crazy because that means the Lord is not looking at the chessboard going, man, that's, that's a good move. Right? In your own personal life, the Lord is not looking at a situation and going, wow, that's a good move on the devil's part. Does that make sense? He's not, he's not looking at, oh, wow, that just happened. He's not, wow, I'm super shocked. I can't believe the devil did that. He's not. This is what he's doing, is he's letting the enemy, he's letting it play out in the sense of he's letting, he's believing that what he's put in you is able to crush Satan. He's believing that the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead that he gave to you and the righteousness that you carry and the perfectness that you are and the holiness that you are, he believes that that is what's going to crush the enemy and all his plans and all his power. That's what he believes. So he's saying, okay, if you move that pawn there, which I see that you're going to, I know that I'm going to place Jared and build Jared up in such a way that I believe what I've deposited in him so that when you try to come against him in this area, he's going to be able to crush you. And it's actually going to make Jared even better than he was before. Right? That's why God never, he never, if, if, if you ever step into a problem or a situation or a battle or whatever you want to call it, the Lord has already fully equipped you to step into that. Right? Like, I remember, like, we, I don't know how to say this. We got, like, bad news that, like, like someone that was close to us had, like, had, had a sickness. And I was like, and I just remember thinking that thought. I'm like, man, Lord, 
you've already equipped me. And I remember thinking back, the Lord had been speaking to me about the miraculous and about signs and wonders and about healing and all this stuff for like six or seven months. And back then I didn't really understand, but the Lord was establishing something in me because he knows that, hey, there's, an, there's a storm coming and let's just build this house and make sure it's secure, right? He's not worried about the enemy. The reason that, like, that's why in the Old Testament, and I know I'm all over the place, I'm sorry, but that's why in the Old Testament with Israel, it says that he took them, he said, he took them the long way around the mountain because he says, if I gave the land to them in in general, he goes, the beasts of the field will overtake them or they'd they'd faint at the sight of war. So what the Lord is saying is I'm taking them the long way and I'm giving them the promised land bit by bit because it's training them to trust me to where when they encounter the, the bigger problems, they'll already be ready because they've already won all these other battles. So that means, that means that when the Lord brings you in to the promised land and you actually have to take ground, and when you encounter a problem, he's already equipped you for the battle. And he believes you're ready for it. Does that make sense? You know, Joshua and the children of Israel were given the land. He says, anywhere that I've, anywhere... That, I, that you set your foot, what, is he, what does he say to Joshua? Anywhere that your foot treads, what's he say? It is yours. I've given it to you. I've given you this land. The children of Israel did not pitch their feet up on the other side of the Jordan and just believe that it's theirs. Right? When they walked through, they didn't say, he didn't say, hey, Joshua, every, you and the children of Israel, this is the promised land. I've given it to you. Joshua didn't go, praise God, he's given it to us. They said, what did, what did they do? They crossed it and they said, there's many adversaries. And there's many battles we have to fight to take the land. But they knew that it was given to them. So if us as believers believe that where we're at and the people that we encounter and all these things have actually been given to us, we just so there's, still, there's still battles to be won. And there's still a life to live. That's why once we accept Jesus, we don't kick our feet up and wait for him to come pick us up. Right? That's why the kingdom of God is always advancing. That's why the kingdom of God is always suffering violence. Because it's because <laughs> you're in the promised land, you just still got Jericho and a lot of other places you got to fight. And you don't ever win those battles in your own strength. Does that make sense? Is there any questions on that? good stuff. Guys, what I want us to see is that the plan of God 100% is us in righteousness, filled with the spirit of God to fill the earth and subdue it, to take dominion. The plan of God is man and God walking in relationship to bring truth and kingdom into the earth. That's the plan of God. Jesus modeled it perfectly. He says, you follow me. And everything that I've taught you, you teach other people. And the authority that I have, I'm going to give to you. Because he's showing the way that I'm living my life is the same way that you're called to live your life. That's why we talk about followers of Jesus. Because we're following him. We're called to live just like him. That's why the word actually became flesh and dwelt among people. So that the people could see it and let the word impact them to where they could actually flesh it out and live it also. Understand that. What, is, what does it look like for us to have the love of God impact us so much that where people can actually look at our lives and believe the love of God for them? Would, would it be wrong to say that the word of God would actually become flesh and it would actually dwell among people again? Would you believe that that's what God wants to do in us? God actually wants to impact us in such a way that where the word of God becomes flesh in our lives because we give ourselves the truth and truth springs up its, its fruit unto everything that he's called us to. And the kingdom of God is actually seen upon our lives because the word is actually impacting us. It's what we're called to. So look at this. I'm going to finish with this. Is there any questions? That's why we can't just come and it's not just sit back, relax, and enjoy. Jesus says advance. To grant us, verse 74, being delivered from the hand of our enemies 
might serve him without what? Fear. In what? Holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. See, what Jesus delivered us was from fear. What he delivered us from was our sin. That was keeping us in fear of bondage, in fear of judgment, in fear of death, in fear of condemnation, in fear of separation. You understand what Jesus accomplished and what we celebrate every Christmas is when he came so that we would be delivered from our sins. He came so that when you stand before the Lord, you will never, ever, ever, ever have to have to say anything about what you did or where you've been. It'll be forgotten in the mind of God because you addressed it here on the earth. Right? We either address who we were and repent and believe now, or we're going to address who we were there. Right? And when we do, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sins because he's faithful and just. And he wipes away everything that you ever were. And you can stand before the Lord all your days without fear in righteousness and holiness. It's what we celebrate, right? The reason they sing stupid songs for Christmas in the, in the mall is because Jesus came, right? I'm not saying Christmas songs. I'm saying like Santa baby, stupid song, <laughs> right? But then you walk through the mall and they're singing all the stupid songs and you'll just hear joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Right? I hear one guy say, he's like, that's like Jehovah Sneaky. He's preaching the gospel in the mall. <laughs> right? I was laughing. I was like, that's really funny. You understand? What if we, what if, what if we were gripped with so much of a reality that we live our lives without fear? What if people, what if people, looked at your life and saw that you lived a life without fear. Because all fear right here is rooted in a fear of judgment, a fear of death, a fear of condemnation. Because when you strip away all of that stuff and you believe that you're right with God, you won't fear anything else. When you believe that you'll never ever be judged for your sin, when you believe that God has made you righteous in his sight because of the blood of Jesus, not because of what you've done, you'll never fear ever again. Because every doesn't matter if Jared, someone kills Jared, doesn't matter if someone kills me, I'm going to stand before the Lord and it's based on what Jesus has done and I've put my faith fully on him. Right? Doesn't matter what I face in this earth, it doesn't matter what happens to me, I can live without fear. It's actually, it's actually very possible to live a life without fear. Which is impossible for a lot of people to even wrap their mind around. Because all it takes is, that's why, that's why perfect love cast out all fear because the perfect love of God is in the picture of Jesus and when we believe that and we've let it impact our hearts there will nothing there will be nothing in our lives that will make us fear ever again nothing in our lives ever again is there any questions or would you stand with me I'm that's where I'm going to finish I wish I could be here next week I'm preaching for Taya's at Taya's church in Norway so that's going to be fun I feel like a lot of times in this season, like there's a lot of stress and like there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of stress. And I feel like the Lord wants us to, one of the things I believe is super important for us to, to do is just to remember that's why the Lord wants us to celebrate things. Like he's not against Christmas because we're celebrating what he's done. Like whenever you're celebrating and remembering what the Lord has done, you're setting, you're anchoring your heart in faith and what he's done and what he's going to do again. Right? That's why we share testimonies. That's why you always, like, that's why when, when you have a bill that you didn't realize you were going to get, you don't have the money, the Lord will remind you of all the things that he's already done. That's why in the Old Testament, he says, hey, build these monuments so that when your kids look at them, they say, why are those big pile of rocks there, Dad? It's like, oh, that was the day that the Lord delivered us from Egypt. That was the day that the Lord crushed this, this, this enemy under our feet. Like, that's why it's important for us to share our testimony and to live in a place of remembrance of what he's done. And I believe, like, 
in our hearts in Jesus Church, like take a time and take a moment to actually remember. Don't just go through the ritualistic of, of ritualistics, whatever of of Christmas. Don't just like rush through and actually not sit and remember. You know, like when we're people that actually like foster in our hearts a remembrance and a and a gratitude to the Lord, it'll position us in a place of greater boldness and faith. Does that make sense? When we remember and we position our hearts and we foster remembrance and thankfulness and gratitude for what the Lord has done. Like, even if you're like, I can't find anything that's I'm thankful for, well, Jesus came when you were yet a sinner. You can just be thankful for that. So whether you believe it or not, right, we can sit around the table and be like, hey, I hope we all just go around and thank anybody. And it's, unbelievers are like, I don't really have anything. Well, Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner, so you can be thankful for that next. Right? That's what we, we can just start there. Be thankful that while you were completely messed and no, didn't even care, God, God died for you while you're still a sinner. Amazing. And just when we position and foster our hearts in gratitude and thankfulness, it will, it will stir us up and anchor our hearts in greater faith and greater boldness in who God is and what he wants to do. And like I said, it, all it is is just you in your heart making the decision to do that. Like, it's not going to be anybody else. Nobody else is going to make you seek Jesus. No one else is going to make you be thankful. So in a season where it's like, it's crazy, it's busy, I'm about to fly with two kids across the world, anchor my heart in thankfulness for what he's done. You know, when you cut the ham, anchor your heart in thankfulness before all your family for what he's done. And let us not just go through and where our kids grow up and they say, Christmas is about presents and Christmas is about this. It's like, no, it's about the king of glory that came and died for our, died for our sins, right? It's about the blood of Jesus that was shed for many. And anchor our hearts in, those, in that reality. But let me pray for us and then we're gonna have these guys up here for, for prayer for anybody. Um, but yeah, Father, we thank you for your blood, for the blood of your son that was spilled. And Father, we thank you for giving your son. And we thank you, Father, for the reality of the blood of Jesus in our lives. And we thank you that you sent your son as a child with the intent of sacrificing him for our sins. And we thank you that it pleased you to bruise him. And we thank you that he grew up before you as a tender plant raised him with the wisdom and favor of God with the intention of him sacrificing his life we thank you for giving him as a ransom for many thank you for the greatest gift that's ever been given and we just acknowledge your heart behind it let it not become something that's just not serious in ours Father, let us be grounded and steadfast in the reality of your love for us because you so love the world that you gave. Father, bring our hearts back to remembrance. Let us not lose sight of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome Christmas. Enjoy, and we'll have our prayer team up here for prayer if you guys need anything, okay? All right, love y'all. Luke, go over here and pray for Tyler.